Welcome to the I Work For Him podcast. I'm Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program, the voice of the faith and work movement. Our mission is to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. What does that look like in your workplace? Let's find out right now. Broadcasting from the heart of the I Work For Him nation to Christ followers working in all different kinds of situations all over the United States mm-hmm. because your workplace, it's your ministry place. You've tuned into the voice of the faith and work movement. Hey, you're listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Yeah, we just want to welcome you all today. We're thankful that you are here joining us and looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have. And I just want to remind you that you can stay connected to us on Facebook right here, as well as our website. And there's just a lot of opportunities for you to stay in touch with the conversations that we are having all over our country, Jim, that pertain to our workplace and helping us to bring Christ into that workplace. And we're all looking for answers or we're looking for truth And that's what this show will be about today. Superman said truth, justice, and the American way. Jesus demonstrated justice, righteousness, and racial reconciliation for all. So who is right? Jesus, of course. Jesus lived for all to see, died for all to be saved, rose from the dead to release all to freedom in him. And the United States is the most free country in the world, but we still have issues. I don't know if you've noticed. I think it's because we rely on politicians to do the work that the church was called to do. The last 60 years, the Church of the United States has for the most part sat on its proverbial keister and let justice, righteousness, and racial reconciliation fall on deaf ears and hands folded in their lap. So today we bring in Kathy Branzell, president of the National Day of Prayer Task Force and Love 2020, and Gary Frost to talk about justice, righteousness, and racial reconciliation in the workplace, which is our premier ultimate mission field. Kathy and Gary, welcome to I Work For Him. Good to be with you. Kathy, why don't you start off? We've never had Gary Frost on I Work For Him before. Why don't you tell us why you have him joining us today? Yeah, I have no idea how why it took so long because Gary has been a part of the Love 2020 um, leadership team even before me. So uh, Gary is a good friend, but he is a pastor, has been a pastor in Ohio and New York. He was um, the president of Concerts of Prayer Greater New York. He's the second vice president, uh, was of the Southern Baptist Convention, so many things. But the reason for today So Gary has five sons, a daughter, six grandchildren, and has fostered over 40 children. Awesome. Wow. This man loves Jesus. This man loves people. And for this now generation, this young to old that live right here, right now for such a time as this and such a conversation as this, Gary was the perfect person to talk to today. I've learned so much from him. So welcome, Gary Frost. Thank you, Kathy. We're grateful to have you here, Gary. And it's uh, uh, just the conversation as we prayed before the show, just praying that some truth come out of my ultimate goal for the show. And, and I'm sure Martha would agree. We just want to be able to present solutions by the end of the show, some real steps that Christ followers can take. Kathy, before we get with Gary, Martha's got a question for you. Well, Kathy, I just want you to make sure that our listeners know what Love 2020 is all about. Absolutely. So Love 2020 is living out a prayer, care, share lifestyle. Jesus taught us to pray, commanded us to love, and commissioned us to go and make disciples. And so Love 2020 is about living out that biblical lifestyle of love so that every person can experience 
and express the love of Jesus Christ. Mm, So good. And people can find out more about it where? Love2020.com. Kathy, why is Love 2020 concerned about justice, righteousness, and racial reconciliation in the workplace and everywhere? Yeah, because, you know, it says in uh, Psalm 89 that righteousness and justice are at the foundations of God's throne. You know, we talk about them being at the foundation of America's founding documents or in the hearts or at least the words of our founding fathers. But the Bible says that righteousness and justice are at the foundation of God's throne. That's where I want to be found. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah 22, 3 starts out saying, do justice and righteousness. Um, if you need a New Testament verse, Matthew 23, 23, straight out of Jesus's lips. And so this is not a political problem. It's not a social problem. It's a biblical problem. And and walking in the love and obedience and mandate model of Jesus, this is why love needs to be concerned because love is a verb and so is righteousness and justice. Mm, Some great words there. And I want to remind our listeners that when Kathy speaks, there's so many nuggets that you can pull out just and and they always rhyme or they have an alliteration. So I love that about you. (laughs) The school teacher in you comes out truly. So, so Gary, as you join in this conversation, what are your thoughts? You know, Jim talked at the in his introduction about the the last 60 years and feeling that the church has been so silent on these issues. Why do you think that is? Wow, you know, as I as I thought about that question, one of the things, and hopefully you'll receive this in the spirit in which I share it, um, it depends on what church you're talking about that's been silent on this. I would agree. I meant to um, say the white church has pretty much been silent. <laughs> the white church, yeah, because this has been a theme uh, for the African American church since Jim Crow. I mean, it's it's a it's been a, a cry. I mean, it's it's heard in the in the whole ministry and message of Martin Luther King. And, um, and so uh, this is a matter, uh, I think the George Floyd incident um, tragedy um, simply was uh, the, a scream of, of stating, we have a problem. You know, I, I like to say, I, I've been married for 43 years. Congratulations. Woman, and I uh, thank God for her. We've had our good days and our bad days. You know, and there's been things she's told me about, Gary, you have this habit, you do this, you do that, or you're not aware of this or that. And then there have been times when she just screamed and said, listen, this is a problem. And finally, she had my attention because before I was kind of passing it off. But when she screamed and I saw, okay, yeah, this is a problem, then I was ready to address it. And I think what happened was there a scream went out because we saw a man murdered uh, in front of everybody. It was just there was no, you know, excuse, you might say. And so... And I want to dwell on that. I'm simply saying that I think it was a wake-up call that there really is a problem. And um, uh, and I've also said that um, it's been it's it's pretty tough on African American conservatives uh, because um, uh, there are issues that have become the issues of pro-life. I'm pro-life. I'm for traditional marriage. Um, uh, when it comes to religious liberty, I'm there 100%. But the whole issue of justice has kind of fallen off the, the screen. It's not there. And um, while it's the, one of the main points when it comes to African-American believers who are just as evangelical uh, but are black, 
And um, uh, so that, that uh, hopefully now we are able to get on the same page with that and raise the injustice issue as equal as in terms of challenges in America as the other two. Kathy, you look like you want to jump in on that. No, I, I mean, it's just, it's a life issue. If you're pro-life, then that's womb to tomb. And, and so I can't say that I'm pro-life for an unborn child, but not be pro-life for an 18 year old young man, or it's, it's, I've learned so much where, where Gary said it was a scream. It wasn't just that there was a a problem with that particular police officer, or even with the problem isn't just within, um, people who are angry or need help or are prejudiced, it's across the board. And this has really been a four week journey for me to lean in with my friends that are people of color and say, I'm ignorant of so many things. Help me learn. This has been a learning experience, not just for the sake of knowledge, but for the sake of change. Uh, Gary, speaking of learning, before we head to our, our first break, just you know, thanking our sponsors. You know, there are a lot of people listening today that don't know anything about Jim Crow and those laws and the Jim Crow. I mean, why don't you explain that, if you can, in 45 seconds? Well, it, it, it just particular laws that address black people, things you could do, couldn't do, where you sat in restaurants, um, what water fountain you drank from. And this was in, this was in the law. This wasn't just culture. This was law, um, voting issues. Um, uh, my grandfather uh, would, would tell me he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he would tell me there's a young man in North Carolina. He wouldn't dare look a white man in the eye. He couldn't look him in the eye. He had to drop his head and um, he would be called boy or whatever. And um, and let alone, don't, don't even think about looking a white woman in the eye. I mean, you could be lynched. I mean, literally dead. And so these were kind of some of the spoken and unspoken. Some of these were actually written in in, in legal um, documents as to what blacks could and could not do. And the elimination of those Jim Crow laws happened when? In the 60s? Gradually. I, I would say uh, into the 40s, um, some of it with the, um, um, the uh, Brown case, uh, Board of Education, um, and then me moving on, and, and I would say... Martin Luther King was probably the most influential in terms of turning so much of that around. And so it happened at the federal level that, uh, that that's why um, there's been a lot of allegiance at the federal level for African-Americans because at the state level, they weren't getting justice. Right. Hey, I want to thank one of our sponsors, uh, just this part of the show. Uh, if you live south of Tampa Bay, maybe Sarasota County, Bradenton, uh, and you maybe need air conditioning, this time of year it's a little hot out, I don't know. You go outside and you sweat going to get your mail. And if your air conditioner wasn't working, you'd be doing that inside your house. Maybe you need a great plumbing, electrical, uh, or AC and heating company. Now, you know, you use heat at least one day a year here in Florida. You need to check out the guys at Aqua Plumbing and Air. Skip Stanton and his team there, phenomenal Jesus follower who they understand ministry and air conditioning go hand in hand. Check them out online, aquaplumbingsarasota.com, aquaplumbingsarasota. Unfortunately, if you live north of Tampa Bay, they won't travel there because they are so good at what they do. But if you live south of Tampa Bay, Aqua 
PlumbingSarasota.com. Or anywhere else in the country for that matter, well, right? Okay. <laughs> might be a little far. Now you may want to move to Sarasota so you can use Skip You might Skip want to, just team. so you could have that good service because they are amazing. <laughs> Kathy, like what is... Trying to keep you out of the fires. That's, yeah. that's, that's right. Kathy, what's the role of the believer in bringing justice, righteousness, and racial reconciliation to the workplace? What do you see? Uh, so many things that we need to make sure that um, <laughs> this may sound corny, but it's one of the greatest things I've heard. If you see something, say something. Okay. That used to be for other things, but part of our sin is we just stayed silent and um, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's icy indifference. It's just, that's what killed millions of Jews in the Holocaust. It's, it's what's allowed thing where you just go, mm, I just don't want to get, I just don't want to get involved. So in the workplace, if you see something, say something, if, if there's an educational opportunity, make sure everyone has that opportunity. We need to be inclusive. We need to make sure that, that there's leadership at the table, um, uh, of of all different colors of all different ages of uh, it, uh, there's there's just so many things where we've been exclusive and until you just sit down and look around and um i mean not to be crude or cruel but i'm not talking about your one token i'm talking about your real leader voice matters that it, it, it's just it's got to happen and we've got to stick together. And so the, then in learning all this, I've been able to turn to my, my black friends and say, hey, could you stick around? Because what happens sometimes is you're the first one to walk into the room and you think, oh, I'm the only one here. And you leave and you never come back. And my request would be go multiply and bring more instead of, well, I'm the only one, so I just left, because that keeps the room way too white. Mm. Bring more, help us to multiply, help us to learn, help us to lead. So good. So Gary, you have had a lot of different roles over your lifetime in the um, in Christian organizations and in different leadership roles that you've had. What have you seen work um, in, in, in this conversation that we can have our listeners here and take to their workplace that can make a difference. In, a, in addressing the issues of justice and righteousness and racial reconciliation. Yeah. What, yeah, what do you see in work? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a big question. Yeah. And um, no, the, the reality of it is it happens one-on-one. Yeah, it begins one-on-one. Uh, of course, we want to change institutions and worlds and nations, but but it happens one-on-one. An amazing thing happens when uh, a white person, a black person get to really know one another. Uh, they say, well, you're not like the rest of them. You know, we always say that. And, 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 and really in many ways they are. I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot that, um, and I hate to be just dogging media, media because we're using it. You know, it's a, it can be a good thing or a bad thing. But so much of uh, what media portrays uh, of, of, of others is, is so contrary to what the reality is. And um, uh, so relationship is so important to be able to talk. Mm. Ooh, say uh, that many again. Times well, people want to Say that again. You have to say that again. That was really good. Yeah, right? I mean, hopefully I can say it again. Well, relate, um, about relationship. Yeah. 
Well, we, we have to be able to talk. We have to be able to get to know one another and to become vulnerable um, and, and even transparent. But that doesn't happen uh, just when you meet someone. You don't just go transparent. It, it takes time. It takes, you know, and, and on, in the workplace, what I've seen is that when you have a common goal, you know, whether you're meeting the deadline or you're trying to accomplish, produce a product or whatever, you're on one page and you're, you're working together. You're not at each other. You're working towards something, but you have to develop your relationship to get there. And so I, I have found, particularly with men, maybe not as much with women, with women, I think they can begin talking their way towards relationship. Men kind of work their way towards relationship. They have to be doing something. They have to be actually almost physically doing something. Mm -hmm. Shoulder to shoulder. Men, men mold together. You know, I, I'm, I played sports and um, I, I, I was the quarterback on an, um, uh, and I was the quarterback that my entire offense was white. And um, we, there's just tremendous stories of uh, how uh, uh, in one particular game, I hopefully make this one quick. My, my guard just told me this like a couple uh, months ago, we had a reunion. He told me that uh, we played against a certain team, which will remain unnamed. And um, the, the linebacker said, get that in guy, okay? Mm -hmm. And so uh, my, my friend, his name was Mike Gutkowski. Mike Gutkowski. You good, can figure out. Good Polish guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said he took that guy and he drove him back 10 yards, buried him. It's called a pancake. And he says, don't you ever call him that again. Mm. Now, you know, we were on the same team. We were trying to make, we were trying to win the game. It didn't matter what color I was. I was the quarterback. He was protecting. I was trying to throw a touchdown or, you know, win the game. So when you're working together, you set us, you begin setting aside the differences because you have a goal. And I think if we can stop focusing upon the differences we have and focus upon what we have in common and what we're trying to accomplish together. And if Christians can't do that, no one can do that. Mm. If we as believers mm. cannot have a common focus and a common cause working together for the glory of Jesus Christ, it's hopeless for anyone. Hey, I want to make sure you know we're talking today with Kathy Branzell and Gary Frost. Love 2020, that's the organization that's sponsoring today's show. I want you to go out to love2020.com and check it out. This is all about bringing an authentic touch of Jesus Christ to every person in America by the end of this year. And what a year it was, Kathy Branzell, when you set Love 2020 in motion. You never had any idea that 2020 would be the year that the world went upside down, inside out, and was the craziest it's ever, ever been. Love2020.com, join the movement, start making a difference today. It, Kathy, it's, it's got to blow your mind when you when you look at 2020. Even in January, when we were talking about it, we had no idea what was ahead. No, no idea at all. But uh, I heard someone say the other day, man, the world just feels like it's falling apart. And I is like before even the word apart left that guy's lips, I heard God say, no, my plan's coming together. Mm -hmm. So the, God has had lots of time to reveal a lot of things to us, to humble us, to make us realize that no man controls his health or wealth, and that can be taken from you in one day. And then the enemy comes in, and all of our togetherness of COVID 
and wants to rip us apart in our relationships. And, you know, we've just got to fight and, and we've got to fight in prayer. You know, don't, don't, uh, Paul told Timothy, don't get caught up in the senseless empty chatter. That, and, and so we've got to be praying. We've got to be talking to God about this. Gary, right before the commercial break, we were talking about things that you've seen work, and you just said relationship. We need relationships, and, and you know, I, I, we've, I've heard that, and I believe that, and I know what's happened. And for guys, it is shoulder to shoulder time. It's like we just need to work on a project together. Uh, it's, and we get, and on Sunday morning, we need to once we actually can go back to church again. Once the government has let us go back to church again, which that's a whole nother show that I could diatribe on. <laughs> what have you seen not work, Gary Frost? What have you seen? That didn't work. Let's not do that again. Well, you know, um, I won't say this didn't work, but I think, and people think if this is the solution, it's not a full solution, and that's pulpit exchange. Um, people say, well, we'll have, we'll just exchange pulpits. The pastor will go to this church, the other one come to the other church. Now preach, and boy, we have a kumbaya time, and then we go back to doing what we do. Uh, and so I, I'm not saying that's that's not a bad thing, but if people think that that's the answer, it's bad because it's much more than that. You know, um, uh, what we find in the church, some of the differences are simply cultural. They're not theological at all. They're very cultural. Um, uh, African-American services tend to go longer. I mean, that's just the way it is. And you, and you need to understand the history of that is back in the slave days, the longer you stayed in church, the longer you stayed out of the field, <laughs> the longer you did other stuff. So church was all day. And so you you just enjoyed it. And it became an, 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 a constant. Uh, it was a time of socialization. It was a time where you were free. Uh, it was a time when the, the pastor or the preacher or whoever's the proclaimer was now in charge, not the master. And so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of history to why the church and Sunday is such an important day in the African-American experience. Hmm. And so there are just these cultural uh, differences. And, um, and I think I strayed away from the question, but uh, yeah. No, but you know what? I love that because that was a learning moment for me because that was like an aha moment. It was like, oh, I get that. I mean, we stretched it out in other ways, but we weren't sitting in our pew as long, but I didn't, I've never understood. We have friends who we visited their church and we, you know, they warned us it's going to be three hours. I you asked know? three so, questions. They said, okay. Oh, oh right. yeah. And it was, and, and he it, said, and don't get up and go to the bathroom. The pastor will call you out. I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? I'm going to be hungry. <laughs> oh, but that, but thank well, you me, for Let me add this real quick. And, and this is something Kathy knows I always say in these, this context. Uh, the African American community is not monolithic. You know, there's high church and there's almost a low church, but there's high church and there's people who are much more uh, spontaneous in church experience, both African-American and all cultures. Um, and, 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 and so so there's not one black church way of doing sure. anything. Mm -hmm. There's not one black opinion or politic or whatever, it, it, just as it is with, with, with those who are not black. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to also recognize that, that this is not... And one, and I'll end with this. This is kind of pet peeve for me. I won't mention the names of the individuals, but there's certain people historically over the last, say, 30 years or so who have been the black spokesman. When this person stood up to speak, he's speaking for black people. And I say, I don't know who he's talking about because I don't, I don't agree with him at all. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's that's almost um, an insult when a person is considered 
being considered the black spokesman—that ah. that 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 you you don't have such a such a person does not exist. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to help you become a better spokesperson than the person that you're pointing the finger to that you refuse to say. <laughs> you don't know what I'm about. Oh, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> He well, may, you know what? He may I, be a reverend. I think that we are hearing a lot of people that are really um, stepping up and wanting to share their voice. And I think that what you're saying makes a very good point because um, we need to hear from a lot of, of different people with different perspectives. Just like when we married each other, he had different traditions in his home than I had in my home. And I needed to understand why they do yeah. things the Italian German way that this little Swede wasn't used to, you know? So, um, so that, you know, I just, I think that we all can learn from each other, but, um, we're, well, yeah, we're running out of time, but I want to make sure we really, we, we, I want to, I want to talk solutions, but Gary, I want you just to get, if you would get as vulnerable as you're willing to get, how has racial prejudice impacted you personally share? Because so many of us, you know, I grew up in white suburbia, south of Minneapolis. I hate to even say that I grew up south of Minneapolis anymore. So, I'm so embarrassed by Minneapolis in the last month. But that's where I grew up. I, so I didn't experience the, I mean, all the stuff we've learned about the, the issues within the black community. We've learned because we've traveled across the country, inner city to inner city, and learned it. But how has it impacted you personally, Gary Frost? Well, I, can, I remember as a 12-year-old, I was the only African-American in a oratorical contest. And um, I'm not trying to brag, but I won it. All right. <laughs> awesome. You, you were know? good. And uh, everyone there knew I won it, but I didn't come in third, second, or first. And everyone, I mean, when they announced the winner of this oratorical contest, it was like my parents looked at me, everyone looked at me. I, I ran out and I actually left, mm. lost my lunch. It, I, it was the first time I said, what? What just happened here? And um, so, uh, when it comes to being stopped by the police, you know, I've talked to some of my, my white friends and they've said, well, they've been stopped by the police as well, but I've been stopped by the police too many times for no reason, you know? Um, and I've had friends who have been frisked publicly and, and, and there was no, the, the, the police officer gave no reason why they were stopped other than they were in the wrong place for all time a day or whatever. So uh, I, I've tasted these things. One, the blessing I, 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 I claim all the time, um, and I say this and hopefully you understand it. I was raised by Claire and Cliff Huxtable, okay? <laughs> that, that was, does that help you understand? Mm-hmm. My, my parents weren't doctors and lawyers, but I was raised in that environment. Mm-hmm. And therefore um, I was taught, I learned my significance from my parents. They helped me understand. And so I could, re- I could deal with this in a better way than others could. Um, But there's many who've not had those reinforcements of their identity and their their personhood. And so they're very much more damaged because they didn't have that. And so um, um, that when I think of my own experience, um, I I also work uh, uh, frequently in in prisons and um, my heart is wrenches constantly when I see young men who have gone into the system, who should be in the system, they should they committed crimes and they should be there. But I've seen young men who should have got a 10 year and they're there for 25, 26 years because they could not afford an attorney uh, who would give them justice. Justice for them would have been going to prison, but not, not twice their sentence. Right. So those are the kinds of things that I think 
that, that, that are, are really at the very heart of this because that creates a bitterness. That creates a bitterness that just makes you angry. Because not only are you incarcerated, you're away from your family, you're away from your children if you have children, and, and, and it just reinforces the, the problems that mm. we have. So, um, yeah, so we haven't talked about solutions. No, and yeah, I want to I want to get to solutions, but thank you for sharing that. Really, it's, it's so important. So we're looking for solutions. There's an organization that has risen up in this country um, that was based on a statement. Well, it was based on a lot of things, but it's called Black Lives Matter, which I agree. Uh, I, I agree. Black Lives Matter. And I believe we need to do something about it. it. Is Black Lives Matter the solution? No. I mean, you mean the organization? The organization. Lord, no. <laughs> Not the organization. Um, Black lives do matter. And, and mm-hmm. we have to constantly make this distinction. The statement Black Lives Matter is a wonderful statement. I think some people say, well, all lives matter, blue lives matter. You missed it. You missed the point. Um. Black Lives Matter is a cry for significance. It's it's saying I matter. I'm somebody, and 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 I, you have to you have to re. Uh, everyone searches for a sense of significance. Everyone longs for that. And isn't it amazing that even Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, three times his father reiterated his significance. This is my beloved son, in whom I well pleased. That that the, everyone. Every human being needs to have their their identity affirmed, you might say. And so Black Lives Matter simply says, we matter. We're people. There was a time when African-Americans were three-fifths of a person. And, and, and people say, well, that was back, you know, years and years. Well, it's the remnant of that still is affect, affects things. And so and I'm not trying to dig up the past. I'm simply saying Black Lives Matter is a cry the state, I matter, as well as everyone else, okay? But the organization itself is totally contrary to every most things that I believe in terms of traditional family. Uh, they want to destroy the nuclear family. They want to support lifestyles that I think are contrary and even sinful based upon scripture. And, and, and there, it, it is totally atheistic or secularistic. There's no, there's no um, spiritual dynamic to it whatsoever. And so um, uh, when, I, when I say this, I can be very easily categorized <laughs> as a uncle dog or whatever. And, um, but so be it. You know, um, we have to speak the truth in love. And uh, we, as, we as Christian African-Americans have to believe that Black Lives Matter, but we cannot connect ourselves in any way with that organization. That's a distinction that has to be made. We need to bring this kind of conversation to the workplace <clears throat> because we work with a lot of people from uh, of lots of different shades of brown i mean we are i mean i'm a light brown you're a darker brown there's people that are darker brown there's people that are you know wh- whatever the tone of skin we need to have these conversations in the workplace gary how if if and many of us aren't even in our workplaces right now we understand that but we have people on our team that we haven't seen face-to-face like in person. We've been face-to-face on Zoom video, but we haven't seen face-to-face in a long time. And this conversation causes angst now between the typical white guy and the typical black guy because of all the media and all of the stuff that's been spoken into it. How can this conversation begin? For for me as a Christ follower at work, and I want to bridge the gap. I want to have this conversation with my friends who don't look like me at work. How can we do that in a way that's tactful, 
and get the conversation going to bring healing, even within our workplaces? Well, you know, it's a difficult question. Um, Jim. Sorry. Um, and, and, the re- and the reason I say that is you really can't have the conversation with everybody. You really can't. There has to be a foundation of relationship and trust to really get deep into this conversation. Uh, even to the extent I, I have, I have, I hate to, more and more we're talking about white and black, white and black. And I, you know, but I have a lot of white friends and I, you know, I'm close enough to say, okay, now tell me what you really think. What do you think about what, you know? And they began sharing some things about their own hurt and their own sense of why am I being categorized with all these racists? I'm no racist. Have you ever seen me? And so, uh, and so I, I can feel that as well. And so, but we're living in a time now where um, it's very difficult for whites to share what they actually are feeling deep inside for fear that they're going to be called a racist. Right. So um, um, this this conversation, I'm not sure if it can be like in in the in the lunchroom. This is not a lunchroom conversation. This for me, I think it's something that is born out of. We trust one another. We know one another. You know I'm not a racist. You know I don't hate white people or black, you know, whatever. And in that context, we can begin talking. And then when people see us relating, I think we speak volumes. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. They may not be privy to the conversation. All they see is these guys are different, but boy, they really love each other. Hmm. And that speaks volumes uh, beyond words. Kathy, I have a question for you, but I want to just make one comment back to what Gary said. And that is, um, so Gary, I totally believe in what you were saying about relationship being the foundation of this conversation. I have several black friends that I've had years of conversations with. Ask, I have the relationship with them. I can ask them, tell me about this. Explain this to me. Why don't I get this? What am I missing? You know, those kinds of conversations. I have other people that um, I'm, they're my friends and I've never had any race race conversation with them because it's just we've, you know, we work together doing something, but it was not part of what we were talking about. Is it appropriate at any point to say to a coworker, you know, that you have worked with and have a good relationship? I'm sorry, I never maybe addressed this. And I want to have an op- I'm willing to be open about it with you. Is that a good thing for a coworker to just kind of open the conversation so they know they can yeah, I talk? Okay. Yeah, I, I, and 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 please, hopefully, what I said didn't discourage you. Yeah, You're no. Doing it. Yes, no. I, yeah, I think you should do that. Okay. Um, but you have, to, but you do it in the context of the fact that you have a relationship. Yeah. I mean, if you're just talking, uh, you know. Social media, I'm not on it. I just stay off of Facebook. I'm sorry. I know this is going to be Facebook. But um, uh, it just gets, it gets mean. It gets yeah. weird. And it, I call it bold anonymity. People can mm. be bold if they know they never have to meet you. Yep. Yep. Because there's and, no and relationship so, in that. Yeah. So and, let me add. Know, and it's not basic relationship. Right? Yeah. So, so Kathy. Let me add to that. Then if you're going to start this conversation, which is what. I even did, I think Gary may have been my first like phone call. Uh, I had been on a bunch of pod calls and conference calls and cat, you know, listening, listening. Um, but I was hearing differing opinions. And so I knew I could call Gary and go, help me. 
because I heard this, but then I heard that and I heard this and I heard that. But what I knew I had to do, what God pointed out to me from the beginning was I needed to take off any garment of offense that I was wearing or any robe of judgment that I was wearing. And I had to be willing to hear the hard things, not to become argumentative, not to defend myself. But if I really wanted to learn, I needed to shut up and listen and then just ask God in prayer, show me the truth in this Holy spirit reveal the truth in this because um, you know, in the morning you get it, you take off your pajamas and you put on your clothes for the day. His armor does not fit. The full armor of God does not fit over a robe of offense. And so you have to take that off and be willing to listen because you're going to hear some really hard things. Mm. There there have been days I just put my forehead down on my desk and sobbed, Mm. but it was true. So I just had to be quiet and listen. So I am that glass half full person and I like to give an an opportunity and and a solution that we can maybe talk about as the church, as the body of Christ, Kathy, what can the church do to lead out in this conversation? Pray, build relationship, go out and ask one-on-one, find out where the problems are, find out where the needs are, and go serve, not with a hero mentality or attitude, but humbly so that you're not just treating the symptom, but we get to the root of the fruit. Um, there, this is a long, 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 long journey that love 2020 and beyond will be on. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, it, uh, A.R. Bernard just said a couple of weeks ago, I loved it. He said, um, progress isn't an event. It's a process. Mm-hmm. And if every day my heart and my prayer and the church is coming together to pray, to love one another and to share the gospel message, it's God gospel and justice, then we'll make progress. It'd be amazing to be able, you know, it, obviously this is a fruitless point, but if Martin Luther King had lived another 10 years, how much more progress we would have made that's been absent in the last 50 years since he's been, you know, since he was assassinated. Gary, you get the final words on this. How do you see the church leading in this conversation? Because we have not. The body of Christ has been almost the body I'll reclarify because you helped me earlier the white church body of Christ has really been silent in a lot of this and honestly some of the preachers from the black side of it have not brought a lot of solutions either but there's a lot of phenomenal people who love Jesus within the body of Christ that are all different shades of of tan and brown and black what's the solution to this because it's not talking about color it's talking how do we bring healing I heard this years ago, and it says, pity says, I'm sorry you're hurt. Sympathy says, I'll hurt with you. Empathy says, I'll stick around till the hurt is gone. Mm. So there's people at various stages. There's a lot of people who have the pity, you know, for the negativity. Some have sympathy. But empathy gets in, gets working, starts to doing something. There's a lot of areas where there's a need for reform. The one that is, there's two closest to my heart. One is prison reform. Um, when you go into a, a prison, I, I, I did work in Rikers in New York City. Mm. 
and also an Ohio Mansfield Reformatory. And um, there's just too many, the, 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 the percentage, the ratios of African-Americans is just, it's like crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And um, so there's a problem there. I'm not going to try to get into all of it. There is a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one friend of mine put it this way. He says, if you see a dead fish in a pond, you say, boy, what happened to that fish? You see two dead fish in the pond, you say, oh, boy, um, two, dead, two fish had a bad experience. But if you see a pond full of dead fish, you say, something's wrong with the water. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with the water, that, that, the environment that's creating all of this. And so how do, how do, we, how do we fix that? So the one area is, is, is prison and justice reform. But the other is education. Something very practical and um, just right there to be done is suburban churches or white churches, uh, they might not be suburban, uh, or churches working together, white church and black church, can adopt a school. As you hear, you've heard the statistics in Baltimore and other places, um, and, and I won't get into unions right now, <laughs> other than to yeah. say we started yeah. the largest charter school in Ohio um, um, that it's, it's no longer in existence in a Youngstown, Eagle Heights Academy, uh, which allowed us to do a lot of things. But um, the, the point I'm simply trying to make is the third grade reading level is the determinant as to how many prisons, Arkansas, I think it was in Arkansas, they found out what were the third grade reading levels. That would determine how many prisons they would need to be planning to make. Because if you can't read out of the third and fourth grade, you're headed to prison. That's basically. So let's help these kids learn how to read. Reading is the is the is the entree into all learning and education. And so so why not have tutorial programs going into the schools and simply sitting down with a book with with a kid and just opening it up and read. Doesn't have to be the Bible. It, it just be Jack and Jill, whatever. Just reading. That's that's a very practical thing. And and I'll do a shameless plug for Tony Evans. Tony Evans has what's called the Adopt-A-School program. I encourage you to go there, look at what how they help churches to adopt schools and what that means. We cannot, we cannot just surrender our kids to the government and expect them to, 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 to learn. I think the body of Christ has an open door, an open opportunity to really invade public schools and make a difference. Gary, I, I will speak out of ignorance, but I had a, Martha and I had a conversation, an amazing conversation with a little old black lady in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, about five years ago. And I asked her questions about the movement that we are now talking about. And I just asked her some clarifications. And, and, I, and I said to her, I said, talk to me about fatherlessness in, mm. in black households. I said, how did this occur? And, and, to the extent that it's at today. And she goes, Jim, you just need to know that when, this is what she told me. And so I want you to correct me. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but she said, Jim, in the early 60s, when they were talking about doing welfare reform, they brought, they added this thing that said that if there's a man in the household, you don't qualify for welfare. Spot on. And and she goes, Jim, we begged, the black church was begged the white church to speak up to stop this legislation from happening. And they didn't do anything. And because this passed, it's caused, it's obviously didn't cause all the issues, but it's been a significant contributor to fatherlessness in the black community. 
And of course, that was the first time I'd heard about this um, because she taught me a lot of things. We, she she was the most gracious woman. I wish I could. I mean, she doesn't do email, so I've never been able to email her and thank her. <laughs> but she taught me about redlining and about uh, uh, about real estate wealth and, and how it was taken away from the blacks and and, and just all this stuff and and banking and payday lending. But that one thing, Gary, speak to that. Can the church be a solution to this issue of? fatherlessness i mean is there a legislative solution to fix welfare i don't know if that's still out there today but i mean because you mentioned you know prison reform that's a legislative thing we've got to get people in office that actually care enough to deal with it but this is it welfare thing still is that still in force that that part uh yeah, with section eight and other things like that yeah to some extent um it's a very complicated problem and i believe that the initial attempts were were well met However, it's created a lot of problems um, that have alienated African-American men from their families in the projects. The projects, uh, Cabrini Green, and uh, the famous one in, in Chicago. Um, you know, you know the, 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 the show Good Times, the show Good Times with- um, J.J. Uh, Walker. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that came out of Cabrini Green. Hmm. Now that was, that was not the normal situation you know, because they had a father and a mother and a family and healthy, had a healthy, you know, that wasn't the normal situation. So um, uh, you need to find that lady you spoke to and bring her on this program because she nailed it. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to talk about that and uh, because it gets a little edgy. But, 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 but um, my wife and I, I'll make this quick. My wife and I uh, have started a program called Eagles Nest Life Equipping Center. Shameless um, plug, Eagles Nest Life Equipment Center. Okay. Uh, Eagles, uh, Eagles, Eagles Life. Eagles Nest.life. Okay. And we have brought in both white and black young ladies who are um, pregnant and homeless. Um, there's not, the issue isn't color. The issue is what poverty does to people and how it can create unnecessary dependencies on the government to solve your problems. And so those are some of the issues that we need to address, not just to take people off of welfare or whatever, but we have to find ways to, to gradually help people become more independent and more um, self-sustaining, mm -hmm. because that's where your sense of value and worth, that's where family comes in, that's where a man can really be a man and have a sense of purpose in his home. So those are some of the things that just, just mo must be addressed well, and, um, uh, in, in possibly in legislation. Well, I, I love, I think maybe in the future we should talk about Eagle's Crest and, and talk about uh, what you're Eagles doing Nest. Eagles, Eagles Nest. Eagle's Nest. Eagle's Nest. Dot, dot life. Dot life. I'm sorry. You e thank yes. you. Eagle's. You know, I just want to interject a couple of things. We have um, a friend of ours who is a pastor watching today and commenting about how their church has adopted several schools and what they're doing Excellent. there. And see, and I said, way to go, church, because that's that's the body, you know, being being who God wanted us to be. And then also another friend who said, his, friend from Rapid City, South Dakota, that's right. and Andre said, Truitt. He said he is a business owner, and he said that he, my pride. mom had me writing poetry at a very young age. So back to your literacy conversation, you know, those are things that um, people are shouting out and saying, this is making a ben difference. Ben Carson, you ever read the Ben Carson story or uh, hear his story? And yeah. We, we've met Ben Carson. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, th those are the things, that's how you escape poverty. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's through learning, it's through education. 
Mm-hmm. And the systems are in place. And I'll, I'll just say it with 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 the with the with the unions, uh, their their best interest is not the kids in most cases. I, I guess there's some good ones, but my experience has been uh, 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 they're they're teacher focused and not student focused. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's why I wanted to talk. And that's why I wanted to talk about church solutions because the church has got to bring. I mean, Jesus is the answer to all of the unrest in this country. Everybody that is so lost and hopeless, Jesus is the answer. And that's why we wanted to focus on bringing, talking about justice and righteousness and racial reconciliation in the workplace, because we've got that solution and we've got the ability to bring that solution because we're Jesus followers. We've been given complete freedom and we need to share that freedom. And we've got the solution to solving the problems. Jesus came to set us all free. And I believe that there's a kingdom-sized solution that can bring this, but we've got to somehow get a mouthpiece, Gary Frost, that's bigger than the media that we're fighting with each and every day. And we need to be done. And now that we've got Kathy Branzell back from love2020.com. The joys of uh, Wi-Fi, huh? You guys froze and you were gone. I uh, apologize. Well, we talked nice things about you when you were gone. But really, Kathy Branzell, close us out. We're so grateful that you brought Gary on with us today. And Gary, we're so grateful for you. Can I make a quick point? Of course you can. The answer of the church is not just everyone preaching the gospel. Yes, we're to make disciples. But there's bankers, there's lawyers, there's Indian chiefs in these churches who don't need to go out preaching. They need to be a better Indian chief Amen. and make decisions so that the gospel affects the way they do their work. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the answer. It's not just trying to get the preacher to preach to everybody. It's to get the preacher to make, this, make them, to develop them in such a way they equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now you're talking and my language. And that's I work that for him. I work for him message right there. there. That <laughs> is it. That's I'm right. so glad. That's right. Gary Frost and Kathy Branzell, thank you guys so much for today. Please check us out online. Iworkforhim.com. Iwork, the number four, him.com. What Gary just said is exactly why we're on the air. Because we are, the, the good news is not just a sermon. It is a lifestyle a lifestyle that no matter when you gave your life to Jesus, everything about you is changing and people around you should be being blessed by your relationship with God, whether or not they believe in him or not, by the mere fact that everything about you is now being impacted by the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Gary Frost, Kathy Branzell, thank you for being on I Work For Him today. Thank you. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I I Work For for Him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him podcast with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Please visit iworkforhim.com to learn more about connecting your faith and work, to join the I Work For Him nation, or subscribe to our weekly blog. You can also follow us on social media at I Work For Him to stay up to date and meet our guests. If today's message spoke to you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review will launch more workplace missionaries across America. That's at I Work For Him and online iworkforhim.com. I Work, the number number four, him.com.